Hi, everyone, and welcome to our episode here of uh, the uh, future characteristics of the church show. Want to, um, there we go. Want to just uh, welcome everyone. We've got two great guests here. Um, my friend Michael Carrion and our friend Reggie McNeil. And today we are going to talk about um, moving from a church centric paradigm to a kingdom fascination. And um, our two friends here are going to share their wisdom, their expertise, and their heart about this. My co host really? is Jeff Halverson. Oh. So, Jeff, yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. Jesse's here for the beauty and the brains and I'm here for comic relief. So we'll, we'll make this, this work. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, no, we're, we're excited. We're actually going to do six shows together, aren't we? And, yeah. And we're looking at six, I think, significant characteristics of what the church was and, uh, and what it should be again. And so we're, um, we're excited about that. So can I pop, throw, throw one over to you, Jesse, before we jump in here? Yeah. So why why is this an important conversation? What we're doing now about this this shift from a ecclesiocentric kind of thinking to a kingdom centric idea? I think COVID has revealed that we were very focused on our Sunday gathering, and we oriented everything around that. Our training, um, our understanding of leadership, and our understanding of disciple making, and the the year that was 2020 revealed and exposed mm-hmm. that we don't know the difference between the kingdom and the church because we struggled to en- engage and embrace in the kingdom outside of the church mm-hmm. and outside of that Sunday centric gathering. And so whenever the Lord allows us to walk through a thing, it is our privilege as his disciples to ask good questions um, lean deeper into his truths and to use it as a teachable moment that requires our participation. Um, and so we are participating in that. Yeah. So as we look towards the future, we want to be more kingdom centric instead of church centric. Not that the church loses its value, but it gets put in its right priority. Yeah. And I mean, when the, when the church becomes our goal, um, we tend to, uh, I think miss the kingdom and we, we tend to idolize the church, in other words, idolatry, and it becomes a powerless thing that, uh, because it's in this wrong place. So I think you're right. When the kingdom becomes our goal, the church becomes then God's primary vehicle for advancing his regime. And, uh, and it's a totally different way of, of looking at things. And so it puts the ownership of the, of the local church right in its proper place. Yeah. So let's introduce who we have here. So um, why don't you introduce our guests or at least introduce Michael and introduce Reggie? Yeah. So this is my friend, Michael. And um, maybe you know him, maybe you don't, but he is a pastor in the Bronx um, in New York. And he is a man who I think is known uh, as love for his people and love um, for those who are around him. He, he loves his church. Uh, he loves others. And whenever I hang out with my friend, Michael, uh, I am just overwhelmed by his kind heart, his shepherding and his prophetic voice in, in moving that forward. So, um, he can bring yeah. people together in ways that not everyone can. And it is a credit to the kingdom, uh, in his ministry there. That's, that the Lord is doing amazing things through, and I'll let him share about that. Well, I, I agree. Michael is a, a jewel, and we're so g- grateful to have him. And uh, and Reggie McNeil, we have actually have two kind of stem winders together that I think uh, this could be interesting. We we this thing could explode. The universe could come off axes. I'm not sure, but uh, this this will be fun for sure. It's a great way to start. Reggie McNeil. Um, most of most of you would know he's very. Prolific in writing, has written lots on this particular subject. In fact, he was one of the first popular voices to begin to kind of make the distinguishing ideas that we're going to be talking about. And so Reggie's been with Leadership Network for lots of years, and, uh, and he continues to, to write and speak. And so uh, we're, we want to welcome both of you here. And uh, so why don't you go ahead and ask the first question? Yeah, so this question is to both of you because you're going to come at it 
from different perspectives. And I, uh, we appreciate both of those. Uh, and so the question is, can you, for us and for our audience and to frame our conversation, kind of contrast a church-centric framing with a kingdom one? What, what, what is the difference between a paradigm that's wrapped around the church and only sees the church as the embodiment uh, and the expression of Christ on the earth versus a kingdom-centric paradigm? So, Michael, I'll have you share first, and then Reggie will have you uh, add in all the color and flourish. <laughs> and you need to do it with oh, a British ac- accent, if you could, because she asked oh, you to oh, contrast oh. it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, contra- yeah well, I don't know if I could do that, <laughs> but uh, I can give you a Bronx, New York City accent for sure, easily. Uh, uh, contrasted. So ultimately, the difference, in my opinion, uh, one of those differences, because I think there could be several, uh, biblically, in practice, uh, one of them uh, that I've noticed uh, in my role as VP of church planting and leadership development in, with City to City has been we see a lot of sacred charismatic leaders, right, that will build strong institutional churches that tend to have a paradigm to look inward, develop in their local congregations, and then sort of have this sort of insular frame where everything that happens in life is about that church, that community, those people, that that parish, if you will, versus a more kingdom fascinated frame that is polycentric in its leadership. There's not necessarily a sacred leader, but uh, those models tend to have a leader that's empowering other leaders that transcend social context and even institution to engage outside the four walls of their community. So, um, and in doing so, there are several, um, several patterns of behavioral profile that can easily be identified. The siloed institutional church tends not to have good neighbors because it doesn't know their neighbors. The polycentric, more kingdom-centered church tends to partner with almost everybody because it's being a good neighbor. It will partner with the CBO, community-based for, faith, uh, community-based organization, a parachurch, faith-based organization. It, send, it tends, the fascinated, the kingdom-fascinated tends to transcend social context and go into the cracks and crevices beyond its local uh, sanctuary, while on the other side tends to be focusing on the institution, focusing on its budget, focusing on its goals, focusing on its programs. And there's a context and there's a place for that. But um, if it's going to be kingdom-focused and kingdom movement, if there's going to be a vision for the city, uh, it's got to start within that neighborhood. And, and in our case, I'm in a globalized city. I'm in New York City. And unfortunately, there are too many silo churches that are doing them, but they're not, they're not engaged with what's happening outside and around the corner. I think that's one of many, I think, indicators, mm-hmm. uh, that would, that would, uh, be as a contrast. Insular versus outward, uh, sacred leader versus polycentric, uh, leaders empowered and then sent out on mission. That's great. Re- Reggie, how would you, what would you add to that? I think I think the difference in church and kingdom uh, can be contrasted is uh, there's a different storyline for each. Uh, the kingdom has a longer storyline. It's as long as God is eternal. Uh, the church, after all, is not the fourth member of the Trinity. It has a particular uh, mission in a particular time. It doesn't extend on, you know, beyond. And 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 the church storyline is mostly institutional. Mike has men- Michael's mentioned that it tends to become more institutional. We forget that Jesus didn't come to establish a religion, and he also didn't come to establish the church. Uh, he It did establish the church, but his primary goal, the big story of the kingdom is that Jesus came to show us the kingdom. He didn't just teach about the kingdom. He lived the kingdom. And so it's a different story. That's a different narrative. I think, uh, and, and by the way, I think the, that's the, the kingdom is life. It's life as God intends. There is a caveat. I mean, God had an idea of life. The Bible starts in a garden with a tree of life. It ends in a city with rivers of life, trees of life. Jesus says, I've come to give you life. Uh, and then he says, I am the life. So Jesus lives out the story. The church story often is too local. It's too focused. It's, you know, come with us. We're building a you know tower. It's going to reach heaven and all that kind of stuff. All right. The second thing is that it it's a different scorecard. Uh, the kingdom scorecard actually would, uh, as, as Michael talked about, uh, actually takes into account are people living any better lives because we're here. Uh, 
I mean, just in case God's interested in how people are living and, and whether or not the big store really captures his attention. Are you kidding? It's like, really, God takes uh, a judgment on how his kingdom work is going every Monday when he gets church stats in. I mean, this is craziness. So the, the church scorecard is all about church centric a church activity done by church people for church people, typically reaching just church people. It's program oriented. It's not people development. You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes. So the scorecard's different. The third thing, real quick, is the stewardship is different because in the kingdom, the stewardship is the community. Ecclesia, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven over 90 times, church gets mentioned once, and it's only in the context of the kingdom that the church is even established. Because Jesus turns around and says the purpose of the church is, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Well, in the first century rabbinic world, every every rabbi had a key that he literally, a physical key that he would give. A, a, a student, Hillel, Shammai, whoever, would have the key of their leader. It would let people know what they think about the Bible, the worldview, and all that kind of stuff. Well, Jesus gives out the keys to the kingdom to these guys because that's all he's talked about. I mean, that is his rabbi teaching. So Rabbi Jesus says, here you go. Here's my keys. And in other words, when people run into disciples of mine, they're supposed to be pointed to the kingdom. Now, when we just point them to church membership or programmatic engagement uh, down the corner, third and main, or, you know, uh, I mean, that's what a short vision. Anyway, so so the stewardship is is different. So I I alliterated I alliterated because I had time to think about the question. So story and scorecard and stewardship, all those are different between a kingdom centric and church centric. Um wow. thank you. Thank you, Reggie. Wow. I love I love that. Um and that kind of actually answered one of our next question. So I'm gonna jump to my third one here um and pass it back to um Pastor uh Karen here. In light of what we've learned in 2020 and what that's exposed and revealed in us, what do you think our takeaway should be? What lessons should we be learning from the way the church did respond, didn't respond, the way that we talked about the kingdom, the parts of the kingdom we missed? What what lessons should we be taking away from the last 11 months? Boy, there's so many lessons, but the entire world is replanting their framework, whatever plant, whatever church plant project they started with or had in 2019 and went into 2020 has now got to be recalculated, redesigned, reimagined. And I would say reimagined without discarding the orthodoxy, right? There are some truths that need to not be reimagined. And and uh, in our last time together at the Sand Institute, I thought Dr. Stetzer brought that, and I even took it back to New York and said that to our faculty, there are some things that don't need to change in our orthodoxy as we reimagine the ecclesia and becoming more missional and, and, and relaunching 2021 and on. But I think that one of the, the biggest factors is that we have to start all over. Our, our facade of stability in the church. We, we literally have been exposed for our shows, for our, hmm. our entertainment, uh, for, for our, our frailties and, and, uh, uh, our, our bank accounts couldn't even keep us, right? So even economically, and, and unfortunately, we don't teach enough. And now this, I'll, I'll toot this horn. Uh, we don't teach enough about economics to our pastors and seminaries. So they don't know how to discern or contextualize missiological trends efforts when they get into their context because they don't understand the economics that are within that community, neighborhood, and or city. And not to know that. Uh, it, it leaves you, you put together an anemic plan, I believe, that may be successful for one group, but not the total or the, or the, or the multiple groups that are within a social community or social context or, or city. So I think that there, there has got to be a deconstruction of what we thought we were and now a reinvigoration that is spirit led, that is, uh, collaborative, that is mission focused, yet orthodox established. Um, we don't want to, uh, we don't, we don't want to recreate the sacraments. I mean, there's, there's a reason why they've kept us for, for so long, uh, and understanding the mystery of Christ's grace, uh, and then the expansion of the kingdom, uh, through a church that is surrendered and sold out to Jesus. Uh, we need to see that again. Um, I think the facades have been revealed. I think that the seeker sensitive models that have always been anemic, in my opinion, have also been revealed. And we've got to reimagine together. 
I also think that um, one of the one of the uh, one of the major major lessons in our community in New York City, in my context, is that you know the Southern Baptists don't have it, the Assemblies of God don't have it, the Evangelical Covenant Church doesn't have it, Foursquare doesn't have it. You name the 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 Orchard Group doesn't have it. You name the denomination or the network, they don't have it. Not by themselves. We need each other, hmm. and we have we've had turfism. We've had we've had almost gangism with our denominationalism. We have been so separate and segregated, and we've paid the price in this pandemic. And so, I'm not saying that there there aren't theological differences, but putting aside the secondary theological um, issues to be one holy Catholic Church like never before, the Nicene Creed comes to life, in my opinion, um, uh, and the creeds come to life to say we are one church. When the whatever your eschatology, That's great. whatever your eschatology, when that trump sounds, whatever noise is going to come out, it's not going to be the apostolic, it's not going to be the missional, it's not going to be the Baptist, it's not going to be the God. one holy Catholic Church will get caught up in glory to meet her groom. And so I want to be in that. I want to be in that band <laughs> when when it goes right. And whatever that band, whatever that banner is, I think is 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 uh is it's it doesn't matter as long as it's Jesus. Um, That's awesome. That's awesome, Michael. So yeah. So, um, Reggie, when you think about that, when you think about the the plague that we're have come through and maybe through close to being through uh, some hard days ahead, but uh, it's a bit stunning. I think that uh, a bug was able to actually cause churches to close, which would tell us something about what we thought church was, and. yeah. Um, what What are we learning about the church and the kingdom as a result of this pandemic we're in the middle of? Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm so fortunate because I get to follow Michael, and he, you know, he explodes my brain while I'm listening, so I can actually come up with something to say. Um, you know, <laughs> honestly, COVID, God didn't cause it. We all know that, but COVID just accelerated the impact of the for of the information revolution that we've been living into now for uh, several decades. It's only the fourth information revolution in the history of the world. Uh, the first one was ri- the invention of writing. The second was the invention of the book about the time of Jesus. Uh, the third was the printing press, uh, and which interestingly is tied to the Reformation. And ever since then, uh, to the point Michael was making for the last 500 years, we've been trying to fix the church, which basically has been focusing on why we're different from the group down the street you know, and we're more holy and we're more this and some of them can wear a skirt and when you can do what and all that kind of silly stuff. Whereas, you know, the, the, the kingdom is, you know, is meta way above all that stuff. How would you think, you know, so one of the things is what do we share in mission? But anyway, so the fourth information revolution is the digital revolution, which changed everything. Now, the church was slow to understand this and the church is dragging its feet and the COVID just accelerated the impact. We didn't understand not just the technology of it. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, I mean, as, as phenomenal as, as that is, I mean, sometimes in my crowds, I mean, I'm an old fossil, you know, my dry, my big old stegosaurus tail just knocks stuff around when I move around on stage. But the, you know, but, you know, I asked the people in the room the under 30, I said, you, you've never known a world where you had to go to a bank to bank. Or to a music store to get music? Are you kidding? And I had to buy, you know, 12 to get one song that I like. And, you know, and then, uh, you know, or, or, or to go to, a, I had to go to a movie theater to watch a, a movie. I mean, look how crazy this is. So I got to go to church to deal with God, really? And then, and he only shows up on Sunday. And let me, I mean, so just the ubiquitous, the asynchronous, the, the different rhythms everything, and it changed the spiritual landscape. The church didn't pay attention. Now, every, all your listeners did. I'm just talking about the other people that didn't get on today. Uh, you know, uh, and, and so, you know, so you've got people now, because the, the, thir- the, the printing press allowed for mass standardization. I mean, good Lord, the first print teams, they couldn't even read. You know, one person could read, four guys, grunts walking around. You know, imagine, talk about, imagine being a, a monk, you know, and you could turn out 25 pages a week on maximum production, you know, and suddenly you got a print team that can print thousands, you know, talking about job insecurity. But anyway, so the mass standardization came out of the last, well, now we're into mass customization. That's what the digital world allows for. 
uh, all the way from, you know, wallpaper to uh, build your computer online, build, you know, order it, build it. I don't want it. Yeah, you know, all that stuff. Well, people, in, in other words, we people are on their spiritual journeys. They're not looking for the church to script their journey for them anymore. Now, they will let us speak into it. They will let us help shape it. But people, are, you know, we're coming alongside people. We're not talking down to them anymore. Uh, you know, in, in their search for God, we've got to be relevant in that mm-hmm. and and not ask them to be, you know, you'll run the base paths or whatever it is. That, uh, I don't I mean, well, that Rick, sounds really tacky. I, I, whatever it is we think we got to do, it's just kind of, you know, this linear progressive. This is what good church people are like. And this is what, whatever. So. Let me let me dive in just a hint into that, um, because what what's been interesting to me and, and I love that you're bringing up the different technological revolutions and everything like that, because especially the printing press. I mean, well, I guess, yeah, the printing press and the, and the information age, the digital age have both demonstrated how we have mistaken the method for the message. Right. Because we can't, we can't modify. And I think with, you know, so the kingdom and the church, the method with the message, we've also mistaken the method for the message. Mm So I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, you could push into that a little more. And then I'd also love to hear Michael, you know, like, cause why is it so hard to build this kingdom centric culture? Right. We, we get focused on the method. We forget our why. We forget our message. We forget Jesus somehow. And, you know, and all the what buys and the what fours. So, yeah. Could uh, you, did you ask me to follow up on that first? And yeah, then for, just for a moment, just for a moment, just, I just want to go okay. a little deeper into that. And then, and then I'll have Michael speak yeah. to it. All right. One of the, one of the, so here's going on. What's going on is that the, we, the, the spiritual revolution that accompanies the digital revolution, the change in the landscape is we are moving into the post congregational era of the church. Now, people hear that and they get all nervous and they think I'm saying you got to shut down everything. Well, COVID's already proved you can you can move without having that weekly gathering. It's just we don't like it. But but the post-congregational church, and it doesn't mean that, in other words, the number of people who are susceptible to being congregationalized is a smalling number of people. Uh, it's, 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 you know, they don't fit the rhythms of the congregation. The congregations every seven days, it's the same rhythm and stuff. People don't live life like that. And a lot of folks, that's not their journey rhythm. Uh, and, and so, so we've got to expand the bandwidth of what we think of how church expresses itself in this culture. You know, I'm seeing church and, and, and congregation was, wasn't even the first life form in the church. I mean, that was third century. I mean, the first life form was house church and all this. So I'm seeing church as business. I'm seeing church as restaurant, churches, coffee shop, churches, a sports bar. And and only people that are hung up on a church-centric uh, thing get nervous about this. They say, well, that's not a church. No, I'm not talking about a church. I'm talking about the church, which is way bigger than any of these little ecclesiastical boxes that we draw. Let me jump in on here before we bring Michael in, just because our audience is is going to be a lot of uh, church planters or people thinking about church planting. And, um, and, uh, and normally, um, I think the, the posture of a church planter gets into a city or a community, looks at it and says, doesn't say it this crassly, but I'm just going to say it. Um, how do I get a church out of this? And, um, and, and begins to construct, uh, uh, some kind of a, a methodology that's going to congregationalize enough that eventually, you know, very crassly will pay a salary. And, um, the, uh, the probably what we're talking about is that same church planner going to that same city isn't necessarily asking that particular question about how do I get a church out of this? He's asking a question or she's asking a question. Um, how, what does the good news look like here? And, uh, how, how is the gospel going to make a, a kingdom impact here in this, in this area? And what's the way we go about doing that? And like you say, Reggie, then it's going to express itself in myriad of different ways. And, um, and that's a, that's a great thing. Michael, just, just keep on, jump, jump on in here. I think that the, back to Jesse's question, I love what you just stated, Jeff, because you're talking, um, prophetic, you're talking about incarnal, incarnational proximity. In order for me to, to uh, uh, join the journey rhythm and people want to be a part of this, 
I've got to take the time to get close enough to them, live with them, not colonize them, not try to herd them into a staple so I can pass to them and they can pay my salary to your point, which is unfortunate that even our church planting models have become, in my opinion, cookie cutter frames for economic targets versus incarnational gospel, Jesus, Bible, believing, preaching, teaching movements led by the spirit of God. Unfortunately, I've been in church planting for the last 30 years, planted a few churches, and I've seen a lot of different frames and a lot of cookie cutter models lead to missional mishaps and contextualization for everything that Jeff stated. I think to to uh, Reggie's point, uh, it's hard to get next to people today to Jesse's question because the generation behind us has seen the atrocities and the shortcomings of the church. And they don't want it. They see it as abstract. The millennials don't want to deal with the atrocities of church abuse and so on and so forth. They're saying, no, we want transparency. We want integrity. Show us Jesus. Show us what integrity looks like. Show us what truth looks like. And I think like like never before, the church planter needs to be incarnational uh, and an apologist. And an apologist to be able to to understand the language and then create language, learn language, and be a part. Uh, we are all becoming incarnational in trying to prayerfully, discerningly plant a church in any social context and anywhere on the planet. You've got to live among them first. Jesus gives us the model. Before he's preaching, he's serving, he's healing, he's loving. Then he starts the ministry. And we, 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 we've stayed, we strayed away from that. We put church planting in a little package and now we, and so I think and, and if we're going to be, our apologetics yeah. are, are are different, aren't they? Like our the apologetics Absolutely. of the modern era was, uh, you know, a a propositional truth. What is what is this? What is this thing that we all agree is true? Going again from a a 16th century understanding and a and Don't a systematic. Don't get me on that one, Jeff. Don't get the neuroscientist started on propositional <laughs> truth. But yeah. a, a 16th century. Um, understanding and answering the questions they were asking in the 16th century and uh in in the in the context of Christendom they were asking all so we already talked about that but but now the the proposition that the truth is it's a demonstrable truth secularity is saying what works <laughs> you know because even even secularism has to sing for its supper now every okay. every pluralism has has said you know everybody it's it's a it's a it's a it's a level playing field and and this gives you know christianity real christianity the the kind that calls down fire on uh <laughs> it gives it gives it the leg right the leg up and uh and so that's that's a really interesting way you've expressed that thanks michael um maybe maybe a michael i'll throw this one to you and then reggie take it after that think about um what we've just gone through uh covid um a lot of people are nodding their head in a different direction, uh, thinking, okay, my idea that I had as church as a worship service, church as a weekly event, staffing to, to support that, um, maybe wasn't the right idea. And, and maybe I always knew that all along. And, uh, and I really want to do something differently. Um, but homeostasis is a powerful thing to fight against. And, um, probably there's going to be a high percentage of, of churches that once everyone's kind of free and clear, they're going to snap back to what they knew, but not all. Um, there's going to be a percentage that has learned something here. And, um, and what, what would you say that percentage is going to do differently, um, in 2022 than they did in 2020? Oh, uh, that's a, that's a great question. And I, I just want to add something you said. This COVID thing is not over. We're going through the second stages now. We have now a mutated variant, um, strain. And so we're not out of, we're still in the midst of COVID and the numbers are going up. The numbers are going up. So we still, we don't know how long this is going to end. I do think that those that come out of it on the other side will have a hybridity of gathering as a model. Some to get smaller pockets of house church back to a Reggie stated first century modality. A first century minimalist frame uh, and some virtual. I think that's where it's going to go because that's what we see people experimenting with in in, uh, in New York. We've got one church plant, uh, very, very, very um, incarnational, prophetic, missional, uh, had a healthy church of three, 400 and lost the space because of the COVID situation. 
And then it panics because now uh, gentrification, finding a space, you know, the, the rents the way they are, buildings being now, you, you don't have access to them. Instead of them just, uh, just uh, disintegrating and, and closing as a church, he said, well, you know, the Bible gives us a framework, the diaspora, the churches throughout Asia Minor. So this one church is now 10 churches and three boroughs instead of one and has little house churches across the city. Mm. All of them are thriving. Mm. All of them are growing. And then they come together on a virtual uh, once a month gathering, right? Where all across the five boroughs or the three boroughs uh, that they occupy, they're in one virtual setting and then they gather that way. We think that that's going to be what well, we surmise in our context. That's what the new, the new frame leading to mm. a new normal will look like. Some gathering and then some virtual. Uh, and then finding and connecting. We've learned this clearly, Jeff. Yeah. We don't have to be in the same space to be in the same spirit. We don't got to be in the same building to be under the same anointing. COVID has taught us that. Mm. And we've also heard because of these smaller gatherings, more conversions, more baptisms and bathtubs, like I've never heard before. Let me, in bathtubs, you know, we try to make baptism sexy. You know, we go to a lake, we go to a pool. Bathtubs in Brooklyn, people are getting baptized. Glory, soli del gloria. Mm, in the awesome. projects, in the projects, right? And so I think that uh, creativity is causing us to deconstruct and to now imagine. We just have to hold on to the orthodoxy, hold on to right teaching, hold on to that which keeps right. us the truth. That's a great example. And the example you gave there, they're not planning on returning to their former model when things yeah, settle down. Yeah. They, awesome. that, that, yeah. Yeah. So what about you, Reggie, when you think about you know, homeostasis, I'll throw a number out. I don't know if this is it, but 75% of the churches are going to snap back to what they were exactly, only smaller. And um, and maybe t- another quarter are going to re- reconfigure because of this. What do you think? So, how are they going to change or how should they change? Well, Michael has just given a great description of the network church, which is um, exactly what is the next uh, move. And so the network church, instead of multi-siding, polysites. I mean, so it's got multiple expressions all in the network and there's a different rhythm to it. Um, and, uh, cause my, Michael alluded to that, um, you know, monthly, I mean, ancient Israel got by with a few feast days a year. We can do it. Trust me. Now, which brings me to my other point, the churches that are thinking of snapping back, when can we get back? You know, Pastors, um, again, all your pastor listeners get it, but I'm just thinking of the group I just stepped out of to talk to you. Um, people have changed during COVID. I mean, their folks are not coming to them. I mean, it's been a year, uh, very shortly, uh, that, that folks have been, uh, uh, you know, pursuing whatever spiritual parts of their life they are they've done it you know they've found some different watering holes uh they have banded together with a few friends to get through this thing together that they could you know actually see and touch maybe i mean you got to take stock of the fact that people's spiritual journeying has taken a significant new turn so to go Mm -hmm. back to the old model come back to support the church it's just it's just stupid i mean but you know so it's not going away people are not they're not dying to support the church. I mean, they're, 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 they're dying trying to live. And so it's, it's it, that, and which brings me to the, the other thing. And that is the simpler we can keep it, the more we can, instead of being in the program development and project, um, you know, uh, maintenance or project management, you know, church business, we've got to be in the people development business. That's what, and the only way you can do that is to sh- to trim back on the programmatic aspects, so you create the margin and the energy inside of the system to to actually walk with people. Back to Michael's point of incarnational, the, how, how do you have a coaching culture rather than a coercive culture? How do you have a, you know, how do you help Reggie, people? I love that, and we're gonna actually like. Like for as a little, you know, mini commercial moment that is in our session two in two weeks. That is we're going to actually do a whole session on that, on um, on creating that kind of a culture. Um, 
So I, you know, we, we're getting some questions in from the audience that I want to loop in here and um, you guys are dropping some, <laughs> dropping some you great wisdom what, here. <laughs> what people think about? I mean, Michael, do you really care about what people think about this? Let's see, I'll do the first one. Reggie McNeil, who cuts your hair? Okay, that's the first one. <laughs> My one, my one hair. <laughs> Maybe he's a floby kind of guy. Um, Michael, I'm going to kick this one to you. Uh, and um, I mean, it's a sensitive question, and I appreciate the person, the courage uh, in asking this, uh, because it's worthy of a little bit of a conversation. And that is, um, the question is, can you expand on colonization versus being missional, oh. um, especially in a post-Christian city? And when um, and uh, post Christian city, question. and I'm going to throw out just as just to make it slightly spicier to help me, especially when you're white. Especially <laughs> when you're white, yeah. So, so you know, we see this a lot. This is always a tension in um, in globe and margin space churches uh, that are leaning toward multi ethnic frames, churches that are trying to become multi ethnic, multi class, multi dimensional, right? Not just homogeneous, all African-American, all Latino, all white, all Asian. You know, how, who are we, who are we making disciples, uh, disciples of? Do the congregants need to look like me, dress like me, be like me, be in the same job and sports as me, right? And if that's the case, and you see this in a lot of the fundamental models in our margin space, I'm just speaking to my context. This may be different in other people's context. But we see folks come in from the Midwest and they come into New York City where they want to save Sodom and Gomorrah. Or are they coming into Babylon to bring forth the truth? This is their triumphant, you know, the hat that they're wearing. They come in into a community. They don't speak to the elders of that community because let me just, unbeknownst to some, you need to know that the Holy Spirit was there before you decided to plant your church there. He was already working. He was already moving and cultivating, putting peace. I heard there was no gospel-centered church in this city. <laughs> That's right. There's yeah. no gospel center on Fifth Avenue, not one gospel centered church, even though that's where Dr. King marched, even though there's a rich history of African American and Latino Caribbean churches that have preached, protest, uh, prophesied, helped form and shape a lot of the help agencies and so on. So people come in sometimes from the outside and instead of understanding the context, and this goes back to the, the mission, the missional mishaps, instead of understanding, spending time, learning, living, becoming a student of the community you want to plant in. You come in and you bring your version of Midwest Jesus, which tends to be middle class and white in my all Puerto Rican neighborhood or my all Korean neighborhood or my all African-American neighborhood or my mixed Dominican African-American neighborhood. And so instead of people coming in and encountering the Christ that would make them more of themselves, they come into a conversion experience that makes the middle-aged, uh, not middle-aged, mid, mid, middle-class pursuing, blessing pursuing, trying to be like that sacred leader. And we see this too often. The the other part of that is that these outsiders that come in, that don't take the time uh, and start these little pocket movements, there is some life and some synergy there that happens, right? Which is, this contributes to the scar tissue because once they don't have the resilience and the grit, so to go through the COVID in the hood, now they're going back to the Midwest. And now this community is disbanded. They're disoriented and they're disillusioned. And what they experienced was uh, uh, a colonization frame versus a conversion experience and a pathway to biblical discipleship that would make them a better self versus them trying to be a different type of people group. And, and that's a hard word for some people. And, and I saw the question and it's a fine line. If you're bringing a white Jesus into a black neighborhood, you've got to go back and find biblical Jesus and, and, and let the white Jesus go. Go back and find the first century Palestinian Jew Jesus. Come back with him and then uh, live out an incarnational pathway and then seek first to understand and then serve and then preach the gospel and then and then watch a church start to formulate in the community. I was taking I was taking notes. No, I love that. so what I heard was you need to help giants and jet fans worship together in spirit and truth, and not convert them to be Kansas City Chiefs fans. Absolutely, that's my takeaway. Absolutely, that's that's, that's the takeaway. That's the takeaway. <laughs> awesome. And once again, I'm speaking to my context, so maybe that was football. I can tell that was yeah, sports. Yeah, that was, that right was there. Awesome. Yeah. 
I love the Canadians. <laughs> hope, hope, hope I answered it, but hope I answered the question. Yeah. Yeah. No, man, that's, I love that. So I, I, and I want to throw in this other question at, at Reggie, um, uh, to talk a little more about community because as we're, a community is one of my huge passions because I don't think the church, I've been in great communities and the church doesn't do community well. Like just because I stand next to you and I don't know your name and we have an awkward 30 seconds doesn't actually create community. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, imagine, imagine that. So then our community formation happens, um, unfortunately around our sports. Okay. Not unfortunately, I love sports or our politics, but we find community elsewhere and that creates our identity. And so this question is um, talking about community formation in the digital age. How will that work if there isn't some sort of type of congregationalism? Well, I think what you're looking well, yeah, and con- the the assumption that congregational creates community there again uh, may may be an overreach. Um, there are a lot of people in congregational modalities that don't know the people across the aisle from them, and they've sat in the same pew for you know whatever. So let's just let's keep the focus on community because even if you have congregation, you ought to be trying to foster community because that's where people grow. That's where people. I mean, there there's no discipleship absent community. I mean, there, I mean that's like trying to come to self awareness all on your own. I mean, it's a paradox. I mean, you, you got to have other people that are giving you you know insight into that, or you don't get it. Now I can't remember what the question is, but. That's, How do we do community in the digital age from your point of view? In a community digital, you still have causes. I, I, you know, it's kind of funny. I mean, because we, we've thought community is a circle. Um, you know, we're all singing each other and sharing our stuff. I, I don't know that the world tree mo- outside of the church, most folks don't create community that way. Uh they don't come in with the idea that we're going to circle up and hold hands and share our deepest thoughts and, you know, and try to become like each other and all that stuff. I think most people create community in the world kind of shoulder to shoulder, not, not, you know, in this weird circle to forced something. So I'm a shoulder to shoulder watching, to your point, sports, or I'm shoulder to shoulder watching our kids play ball, or I'm, uh, you know, shoulder to shoulder, uh, working together on a community project. Um, now, some of that will carry through in a digital age. Uh, you know, people are going to come out of this um, with they're they're still going to have kids, and they're still going to have projects and their uh, the causes that they care about. And so, you know, I look forward to that. I think that will help to accelerate community again. But you, you can try online. Um, but I think if you do online building community, it's going to have to be around common interests, mm. not common sharing and, you know, kind of, you know, throwing up on each other. Uh, it's, it's going to be on the stuff that we find interesting together. Maybe it is a book that we read, maybe it, and then meet to share. Maybe it is, uh, you know, something that we go together and invest in, uh, you know, uh, as a, as a group to, you know, make help a mentoring program survive. I, I, I don't know, but that's what I would, that, that's everything I've got on it. There's like a, a magic, a magic, a fragile moral substructure out in every community with people who are, have, have, have empathy towards whatever broken social fault line that is there and they see it and it, it creates a, a pathos in them. There are, they're hurting because of it, and they're wanting to do something about it. And that's the perfect engagement point, yeah. isn't it, for a Christ yeah. follower to to link in what the holy what what that they're created in the image of God. They have this eternity in their hearts. We see, and and yet they can't, you know, fathom where God is. And um and and so they're they're in there, and it gives us this opportunity to you know help them understand where that long what that longing leads to. After, after all, it was the human need around him that drew the kingdom stuff out of Jesus that that, that caused him to show, you know, who touched me? Mm. You know, uh, uh, go home and, and tell this to your friends. Uh, you know, uh, these people are too hungry. There's, the, the restaurants are all closed. We got to feed them. You know, it's, I mean, it, it was it was just solving the, the little hurts to yeah. big hurts. That that really caused the kingdom to show up in every case. 
Jesus was showing the difference between the life we have here and the life that God intends, even to the cross. I mean, I grew up in a world where yeah. the cross was all about, you know, um, you know, atonement and Jesus in my place and, and, and that kind of thing. I'm not putting that. I'm, I don't think any one theory of atonement drink can get at it. There's a lot going on that we don't even know about. But I will say I do believe that the cross is is God judging the world. I mean, because it, it's not about, um, you know, the world judging Jesus to put it. The world thought they were judging Jesus to put him on the cross. You mm. know, we found him to be sedition right. and a traitor. And we can't allow this kind of stuff when, in fact, the cross is God's judgment on the world can never deliver the life I've promised, uh, you know, mm. and that I that I intend and so you're going to have to learn a different way of living. You're going to have to, you know, uh, follow hard to follow close to get this. And uh, anyway, I love that. It's, I want it's a, a community I, can, around a cause, not information, right? Yeah, As a neuroecclesiologist, information can't can't yeah. create that heart connection. Yeah, that's a great that's a great way. But you see, look, look, it took me ten minutes of wandering around, you know, and you. Just, <laughs> Cut right to it. I mean, but you I'm just need a Harvard person here to, to help us out here every once in a while. Boy, I'm, and I'm used to being paid by the word. That's why it takes me forever. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I want to I want to throw a question out, guys, that uh, maybe gets to a, the heart of what we're talking about in a, in a practical way. Um, there's a reason why um, church became what it became. Um, it, there's a reason why when um, the church for the majority of people is going to try to become in the future what it was in the modern past. And um, it, living, living the kingdom-centric life is not the easy way on, on many, many different fronts. And, um, and so maybe Michael, I'll, I'll throw this one to you to begin with. Um, when you, when you think about, uh, a kingdom centric, um, leadership, a kingdom centric, um, vision, a, a, kin a kingdom centric passion, it doesn't feed the things that we value most often. And, um, and so, so kind of getting down to brass tacks, what does a leader, Ha what what has to happen in a leader to be able to um, desire this future that really is, you know, as Reggie described, really is the purpose of of the cross and uh, and it, the emanations of that working itself out in the life of a person and then a community. What what has what has to happen inside a leader to to uh, want to be there? I think an incredible breaking has got to happen. Amen. I think embracing. The sufferings of Christ, understanding that Paul said to the church, I mortify myself daily, right? I die daily. Um, and I'm not saying that we need to whip ourselves like the monks did, right? 10th, 11th century, but it is a death hmm. to follow in the third way. It is a death. If any man cometh after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. And follow me. Right? Matthew 16, 24, 25. I believe that that's what it is. Mm. My walk has always, in my experience, that's what it's been. The things mm. I wanted to do, in, in the good sense, the Lord said, you could do that, but I want you to do this. And uh, by God's grace, I've had good mentors develop me and speak into me and help me, even when it was the hardest decisions. Mm -hmm. Broken leaders are are incense and myrrh in the nostrils of God, and I think that uh, uh, they're great followers. Everything is open handed, right? That's right. Everything and, is open handed. Yeah. How about you, Reggie? That. How would you describe that that leader? Sorry, Jesse. It's <clears throat> it's it's really like a deconversion, um, or or, or as a friend of mine talks about the second spiritual formation. I mean, we all have received spiritual formation, uh, at the hand of our parents, our culture, 
our our you know spiritual or church of origin whatever our experience was and i think what's going on is a confluence of things now that they're, they're forcing kind of a uh, a real evaluation of that uh i mean there's a reason that a lot of people still are trying to navigate life with a nine-year-old gospel they've never gone through the deacon what the deconstruction that Michael talked about so they that they can latch on to the real stuff that will carry them and feed their soul. And, you know, they've downloaded Jesus as an app and they've put him, you know, so they can get a good parking place and, and you know, get fed, whatever, good job, get ahead of everybody else. But a, a kingdom, it, it, it's so profoundly different. I don't mean it's unattainable. But you don't get there by just tweaking um, a, a, hmm. a, a few things. Um, it, it is a, it's a letting go. In the classic repentance, it is a turning away from to turn towards something. Now, I, I'm saying this, and I don't hmm. want to do it. I, so, uh, you know, I, that's how hard it is. You know, I was talking. Uh, hmm. I was talking with God just the other night, and I said. Lord, I know I need to think this way and I need to make that, but, and, and I'm going to ask for your help to do it, but I, I really don't want your help to do it. <laughs> you know, it's kind of spare me. I think until we get there, we don't know what we're dealing with. We, we still think that it's just kind of a nice thing. Ah, uh, it's, it's, it's way bigger than that. Um, so anyway, uh, I don't know that that's much of an answer, but that's just some, reflection it's pretty good oh, that's amazing you guys my men i had a mentor who told me that the doorway of the kingdom is repentance and baptism and not baptism once but like that death and rebirth and that has to happen in every pocket of your life with every idol with every you know byline of self-agenda like each one of those has to be repented and baptized um and so Wow, you guys are just, you're moving my heart. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, Jeff. I just having a moment. <laughs> no, have, have your moment. Go ahead and, and lead us in the next, maybe the last question. I think we have one yeah. that came from the audience. It's a good one here. Yeah, last question. And I'll and I'll kick this to Michael first because you'll um, have some experience with this. Um, and, I, and I'm an ordained four-score minister, so I work in a denomination and I appreciate the, the pain and the angst that gives birth to this question. Um, and the question is, how do we work within our denominations when they tend to be congregationalists? Their metrics are based on Sunday seats and dollars, right? We all have our favorite little, you know, uh, names for those things. Um, and crossing boundaries and partnerships. How do, how do we work within our denominations to cross boundaries, partnerships and be increasingly kingdom centric? You know, I, I've been in my denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, going on 20 years, 17 years. And for those 17 years, it has been a challenge. I love the mosaic of the covenant. I love the ethos, the center set theology. There's a lot of great things I love. But those items mentioned, I think, are in every denomination. Every denominational family has something. So the Baptist got something. AG has something. Everybody's got something. And I think that some of us have been called to be formed in these families, but then be reformers in these families. And it's where you build tough skin. And sometimes you'll be shelved within the family because you're too prophetic. You're too much of a truth sayer. You're too much of a, you know, too many questions, too many, the why. Well, let's talk about how this happened in another conference or region or XYZ. And I think it's, it's, um, it's good. Some would say today, that the age of denominations has ended long ago, and we no longer need them, that the new way to go is network and, and uh, more informal uh, social uh, gatherings. I, I, I don't think I agree with that. Mm -hmm. I, I am still in the ECC, not because of the ECC and the pietist tradition. I am in it because of the relationships, the family, and the accountability. The prophets of the ECC still speak to me and pull out of me the harmony of call. And, and that's precious to me. Mm -hmm. And so I find that. I find that, you know, another, Jeff is, is one of those. Professor Yang, Stetzer, now Reggie's a new hero, listening to his brilliance in our young packs, church and, and movement. Uh, and Dr. Keller, my mentor, my boss. And so, uh, you know, there's so many that will invest, 
But the denominational family, that's the family that you're in. You know, there's no perfect family. Uh, find and look for Jesus and the Spirit in that family and then allow them, allow Jesus and the Spirit to use you sometimes to reform and to speak truth, even to power. Uh, not every power you're speaking to is an evil power. Sometimes it's a good power that's just <laughs> needs an awakening. Mm, that's good. So we, good we've got to be able to, to take that, that role. A lot of humility in that. That's great. Thank you. If if I were going to add, and there's not a lot to add to what Michael has said, because uh, it's well said and covered a lot, but I think you need to calibrate your expectations of what to expect from the denomination. There was a day and age of denomination that was your fellowship, that was your circle of fellowship, uh, that was your circle of mission, that was your circle. I mean, you just played out your whole ministry inside of that denomination. And I think anymore, that's an un- inappropriate expectation. Uh, it doesn't mean that you leave the denom- tribalisms alive. And well, we all like to hang out with certain, I mean, you know, that's the, but don't expect it to feed you, you know. Uh, and also, I don't know that I would expect, uh, in some cases, figure out. Jesus said, count your, you know, count the cost on this stuff. I mean, every one of us can't be a reformer of the, uh, the tribe we're in. I mean, that's an, uh, you know, no one's asked us for that help. So then we wonder when we provide it while unsolicited <laughs> advice goes unlistened. So, you know, figure out what it is you want out of the denomination that, and what it, the gifts that it gives you. And, and then look for people because Michael's right. There are people, listen, there are people in every denomination that get it. And there are people in every denomination that don't get it. Yep. As one of my friends says, if you have to ask what it is, you don't get it. <laughs> I mean, you know, you just look for the people that get it uh, to mm. feed your soul, and then have fun with the denomination on the stuff that ma- that that it can do for you, especially your pension. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Actually, yeah, that's wisdom right there, Reggie. Actually, yeah, said from a guy that's approaching these things. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, let me be honest for one closing thought and then and then um jesse why don't you kind of highlight what what's coming up in the in the in the weeks to come in this program that you and i are are doing together so first of all uh reggie and michael you're both friends and heroes of mine uh, uh i'm grateful for for your you speaking into this very first inaugural show that we're doing here and um and you're uh, setting the table because everything else we're going to be doing kind of comes off the value systems that we just talked about here and so um when we think about denominations as jesse asked that question i i, I was actually speaking to a group to a denomination i was trying to think was it this week or last week and i can't remember but it was recently and um and i, I they they asked a similar question i said well you know most denominations are between one of these two poles they're in between one of these two they see themselves as existing for their churches or they see themselves existing for the mission and they're somewhere in between those two things and in my view the ones that are going to survive and thrive are the ones that figure out how to kind of move themselves that way that that they are actually uh, the prophetic and equipping voice for their churches to help move them towards mission instead of goods and services that handbells and things that they're, de- they're demanding. And so, uh, I think there's that sense where I, I do see that in a lot of denominational leaders is they're actually pulling back from where they used to be over here and kind of inching this way. And I think that's a healthy thing. So thank you guys. Um, Jesse, where are we going? Yeah. Well, it's, we're going to be meeting every other week. Um, we've got six sessions for you, all looking around the, uh, these future characteristics of the church. So next week, we're going to go deep uh, into that idea about uh, raising up and equipping people. So we're calling that uh, moving from drafting free agents to developing disciple makers. So we're not recruiting our leaders. We're growing our leaders. How does that happen? All right. um, the third session will be from solo clerics to co-vocational teams. Um our uh, fourth session will be changing our fluency. How are we talking from Christianese to secularity? And how do we actually be that incarnational voice of our people and, and meet them where they are? And then session five, we're going to look, uh, this one we're going to actually have Richard Blackaby um, with. We're going to look at moving from doctrinal precision to spiritual authority. Uh, so that one, all of these are going to be amazing and a little spicy. We love it. 
and session six, we're going to be looking at moving from underserved communities to or overlapping gospel movements. So we've got two speakers for all of this um, to share and, and bring different perspectives. We'll be publishing that and, and getting the slide out there. But I want you to come for the wisdom, for the conversation, and because the spirit is leading. So mm. I'm a little hesitant. I'm not, I'm not like a celebrity person, even though like you guys are amazing, but I want you to come not because of who's speaking, but because the Lord is speaking um, to that. So that's my little neuroscience Pentecostal <laughs> admonition there. Uh, so we, yeah, I just want to echo Michael, Reggie, thank you so much for being with us. It's been amazing to have you. Um, I, I feel blessed by our conversation and I know our audience does too. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll see you guys in two weeks.